Man, it's, a, it's a been a privilege to have Bill and Rebecca um, on this journey with us before we ever moved out here and for these 20 years and, um, and all their three wonderful kids. And I, I do just want to say, you guys, I, like I told Will, you, you know this, but man, you have a story. You have a story. I love the fact that the Bible actually tells us that God is the author he, he's, he's, he, but the cool thing is he was writing Bill's story before he ever met him. And so like you, if you are here and you've never actually encountered God in a real way that changes your life, the cool thing is God is still writing your story. And for those of us who have encountered him, he never stops writing our story. And um, so that's all I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna share, I'm gonna read about 10 verses here of the Easter story. And we're just going to walk through the story. A little bit different type of message today. Not my, here's my three points or anything like that. I just want to walk through this story and show you some of the amazing things that happened here when these people encountered, and this is the important thing for today, it's Easter, when they encountered a living God. Nothing stays the same, okay? You can go to church and things can stay the same. You can try to be a good person and things will stay the same. But I'm telling you, if you actually encounter the real living God, you better get ready. You better buckle up because you're going to go for a ride. All right? So here we go. Matthew chapter 28, last chapter in his book. And we're going to start with verse 1 and go through verse 10. Early on Sunday morning, sorry for Saturday night, y'all, but this still works. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where his body was lying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met him. Greetings, he said, which is so funny to me. <laughs> hey, what's up? Which actually, when I studied this, this word, because you're like, what was it? It's literally like Jesus just said, hey. <laughs> I love it. He's so normal and so, so abnormal. They came to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. All right, let's, take, let's, let's look at this story. Early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning. What a great picture right there of Easter. That's, that's the picture of what God wants to do in every one of your lives. I don't care if you don't believe in him at all. 
I don't care if you've walked with him for 40 years like myself. You walk in and you meet the real living Jesus. And it's like a new day dawning. Darkness came over the whole land when Jesus died. Darkness comes every night. And then the new light comes and light always overcomes darkness. Hearts and lives filled with darkness. We're now going to have the chance to experience the light of God's love and his truth. And most importantly, his presence. Okay. And then we got Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Seriously? (laughs) The poor other Mary. I was thinking of like, did any of you guys ever try out for like a middle school or high school play? Right? And then after you did your audition, you went and looked at the line. You go, oh, what part did I get? Oh, the other Mary. (laughs) Poor Gail. But why why the significance of Mary Magdalene? Why do we know who she was? Well, in Mark 16, 9, unpacking the story, it says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. That's amazing. And I thought, well, why, why then did, every, why did God want to make sure that Mary Magdalene was in this story? There's two reasons, I think. One is this. It lets you know it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. Your past does not matter. Bill's rejection, Bill's wandering, Bill's doing everything the world wanted to do. It didn't matter to Jesus. (laughs) It doesn't matter to him. He is so far greater than anything you've ever done that even if your life somehow led to being possessed by seven demons, Jesus wants you to know today, I love it and I'll take care of it and I'll set you free, okay? I think part of the reason Mary showed up first in the story was he wants you to know no matter who you are, he loves you and he wants to give you life. I think the other reason that it was Mary and the other Mary and in other places say there were even more women who came I think one of the reasons was to help us believe, you guys, that this account is actually true. Because back then, you guys, the status of women was not equal to men. They weren't. You, and, and, if, and by the way, so if you were going to make up a story, right, that you were going to die for, and you wanted everybody to believe this story because you really knew it wasn't true. You know, people say, because you stole the body. Well, if you knew you stole the body and it wasn't real, And now you're going to go, how do we convince everybody that this was true? I can tell you this. You wouldn't back then have said that a woman who had seven demons in her was the foundation of the story. Does that make sense? You wouldn't do that. But they did. And I believe it's because God wanted you to know this actually happened. And the other thing that he wanted to do was he absolutely wanted to elevate the status and redeem the beauty of women. I think that's really true. All right, so Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The first words out of the angel's mouth are what? Do not be afraid. So you got these guards. (laughs) I'm telling you what, they wanted to make sure, right? The Romans wanted to make sure that Jesus was not, that they weren't gonna steal his body. So they send the guards. They're dressed in all the armor. They've got the swords. And when they run into the angel, what happens? The guards, they they were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That's what happened to these burly guys. 
Because when you encounter God, when you encounter God, he will absolutely freak you out. I thought, you know what happened to them? Why do, how did they become dead men? I thought, I think he short-circuited their brains. I literally did, so I'm like, and I'm no electrician, so I actually looked up, what does short-circuit actually mean? Well, here's what the, the internet says, so it's true. Short-circuit, this was the definition, I love this. Short-circuit occurs when a low-resistance path not suited to carry electricity receives a high-volume electrical current. And I thought, here's some guys who have zero faith. They don't believe any of this stuff. And then the living God, the spiritual current, absolutely overwhelmed them and short-circuited them. But I think it happened to the women too. They were short-circuited as well. Because whenever God shows up in the Bible, you know what he has to say? What's he have to say? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's one of the, it's one of the biggest things that all through scripture So when God shows up, we're going to be afraid. Why? Because the real living God is so far beyond us. Something happens that doesn't initially register with our understanding. And I want to tell you this, you guys, things that are beyond us scare us. They do. They scare us. Because we like to understand things. We like to be in control. We like to be safe. We like to have things fit in our normal, regular, predictable life. But I want to tell you, you know what Easter says? God is anything but that. God is anything but that. Encountering him really can't help but overwhelm us because he's so outside our box of understanding and control. So don't be afraid. Second thing he says, I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. In the book of Luke, another account of this, the way he interpreted what they said is, why do you look for the living among the dead? (laughs) Why do you look for the living among the dead? So here's my question for us tonight. What kind of Jesus are you looking for? What kind of Jesus are you looking for? And again, maybe you're like Bill and you're just invited to church tonight and you aren't maybe even looking for Jesus, but what kind of Jesus do you expect? I guess would be another way to look at this question. Hey, but for all of you, all the rest of us in here who actually believe in him, I want to challenge us all tonight. What kind of Jesus did you come tonight to encounter? What kind of Jesus? The women show up and they're looking for what? Yeah, they're looking for a dead Jesus. (laughs) So what are they doing? The account, the chapter before shows that they were actually there when Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus into the tomb and he rolled this, they used to do these huge, I've seen them, I've been in Israel, these huge stones that they would just roll in front of the grave. So they actually were there. They saw that happen, right? So they knew one thing. They were like, well, it's gonna need to be rolled away if we're gonna you know, see Jesus. And so actually another account said, oh, how are we gonna get in if they're worried about that? But then it says they came with spices to anoint his body because that's what you did. You know, that that was their normal routine. They came with spices. We're going to put them on the body, prepare him for burial. So here's the deal, guys. There was no risk in what they were doing. This is what everybody did. (laughs) Whenever anybody died, it'd be like us, just going to our funeral and doing the normal thing. They understand how this works and everything is under control. So let me ask you this. Are you looking for Jesus in dead things? Because if you're looking for Jesus in dead things, 
you're not going to find him. You're not going to find him. Let me give you a few possibilities of some dead things. Could you be looking for him in dead religion? In some man-made ways to try to get good enough to maybe someday God would be approve, you to prove he'd somehow it would come out of my mouth and make sense. <laughs> but no, I mean, are, are you actually doing a man-made idea that if you can be good enough, then God eventually will accept you and approve you and welcome you in? I'm telling you guys, dead religion, man-made efforts to appease God. If that's what you're trying, and if you think that's where Jesus is, you are never going to find him. And your life is never going to change. He's not in that. I love what he said to the religious leaders. These were the guys who had studied the Bible inside and out, but they had so many religious practices. (laughs) So many things that you had to do to try to make sure that you were okay with God. And I love what Jesus said to them. He said, woe to you teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. He goes, you guys are dead inside. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. So I just, and I want to tell you guys, this is great news. Because if you're trying to find God by going to church and doing all the right things and tithing to make sure you had enough money in and doing all this, if that's what you think, and it's like, okay, then my life's going to change. No, it's not. No, it's not. Jesus isn't there. Here's another dead thing that can be a dead thing is man-made traditions. Sometimes we, we actually create something and it works. And because it works and we actually did experience God, well, then we got to keep doing it because this is the thing. If we do this thing, then that's going to help us encounter God. So we get so committed to a way of doing something that we think that's what's going to do it. And I, I just know, even in my own personal life, as soon as I think the way is what's changing my life and not Jesus, the way doesn't work anymore. And now you're like, whoa. Wait a second, I I encountered Jesus like that. This is how you got to do it. And this is why people just keep doing the same thing over and over again, because we think that that's how it works. That's not where Jesus is. You know what the Bible always says? God's going, he says, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And so he brings new wine. And if you're doing new wine, you got to have new wineskins. So you could be looking for Jesus in dead religious stuff. You could be looking for Jesus in man-made traditions. Or you could just be looking for Jesus in earthly realities instead of supernatural ones. You could just have a worldview that says, you know what? Nothing happens outside of what, scientific, what can be scientifically proven, okay? And if you want to live there, and if you're going to try to find Jesus in just, I'm not saying he is, he is so engaged. I love science. I love the people who discover more about scientific realities because it doesn't prove or disprove God. I think actually the more we find about science, the more we find out about God. So anyway, but the, but the point is, what I'm trying to say is it's not just earthly realities. If you're going to actually encounter Jesus who changes your life, Easter says it's beyond your understanding. You know what's interesting? Religion, traditions, earthly stuff that we can scientifically prove, they're all safe, understandable, and they're controllable. And if Easter tells us anything, it tells us Jesus is anything but that. Faith in Christ is anything but safe. He is beyond our comprehension, 
and it is out of our control. So if your life isn't changing, then maybe it's because you're trying to control it and you're trying to fully understand it and you're trying to be safe. The Easter message blows us out of water. Okay, next thing that happens what in the story? It says they hurried from the tomb with fear and great joy. Okay, now that is a weird combination, right? Usually when I'm scared, how about, how about you guys? When you're full of fear, how many of you are also joyful at the same time? And when you're full of joy, woo! How many of you are going, woo! And you're scared at the same time? Well, the only examples I could think of is getting on a roller coaster, right? When you're, and eventually it's just fun. But even when I'm like, I love the roller coaster. And you guys know I've shared this through the years. And I want to fly off my seat when I'm in the roller coaster. But I remember going to Cedar Point just a few years ago who had the fastest one again in the world because they're always committed to doing that. And my hands are up in the air. And then all of a sudden we're flying. And I know I'm going to hit that. Whoa, and next thing you know. Or maybe it was when I was skydiving. And I'm standing and I can't climb a ladder. And I'm 10,000 feet in the air and they open up the door of this tiny little plane and I'm 10,000 feet. Pure terror. The guy throws me out the the plane. I'm flying through. He pulls the cord and it's all peace and quiet. And then we hit the ground and it was pure joy. (laughs) Fear and joy. Okay, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm so grateful. Mike and Garrett came up with this. Look at this fear and joy stuff, Dave. I've loved it this week. I want to tell you something. I know of no better way to describe the phenomena of actual faith than fear and joy. It will always be full of fear and it will always be joyful. That's my story. Like Bill's, like every time that God has asked me to do something, it's been scary and I don't want to do it. Every time. And that's why Jesus said all through the scripture, God said through the scripture, don't be afraid. But every time I've had faith in the midst of the fear, oh my gosh, the joy. Fear and joy. Those two things are what's gonna happen if you encounter God. So whenever God shows up in scripture, don't be afraid, he says. But you know what's interesting? He never shows up in scripture and everybody freaks out. And then they're like, what God? And he's like, I don't know. I just thought I'd show up. He never does that. Every time he shows up, it's for a reason. And there's a purpose. And so whenever God asks people to take a step of faith, he also has to say, don't be afraid. Hey, I want to ask you tonight. If you sense God loving on you tonight and moving inside your heart like he did in Bill's, to eventually put your faith in him. I can tell you this right now, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be afraid, but don't be. Because joy is on the other side. There will be fear because he's beyond us, but he asks us to take these steps of faith. And I want to tell you, here's where the battle lies, you guys. The battle lies right here. You know why? Because we start questioning, we start doubting, we start playing out the scenarios in our mind. And every time we do that, it's never good. Aren't we weird as humans? If you think about what could happen, it's always bad. My, my, our great friend, Patty Nation, said, we always go down the road to worst-case scenario town. So that should be a Western song right there. Okay. This is where the enemy comes in. And Jesus said, when he speaks, he lies. 
I'm telling you, he lies to us about God. God loves you so much, but he says, no, he doesn't. He's not good. He's not trustworthy. He actually will not help you. He'll leave you out to dry. Why do we not say yes to God? Because we don't actually think that if we step out, he's going to show up and be faithful and be good. We don't believe it. We don't. And so that's where he starts lying to us about the outcomes. Oh my gosh, you guys, if you actually give your life to Jesus, it's going to totally get screwed up. He's going to completely rob you of the good stuff. If you think this is going to happen, you're going to experience rejection. You'll lose everything. And then he starts lying to you about you. And he just says, come on, man, follow your heart. You, what you want is way better than what God has for you. Come on. The eternal God who made you and created you and has plans for you and loves you, your idea is way better. That's what we think, every one of us, me included. Okay, here, a few years ago, as I was wrestling with my own fear, I feel like God gave me a phrase. This is, what, this is the phrase that hit me. You know what fear is? It's Satan's veil to God's glory. Fear is Satan's veil to God's glory. As soon as God shows up and asks us to move in faith into relationship with him, Satan is scared to death of every one of you in this room finally finding out who you were created to be. He hates the thought of you being fully alive, living out the destiny that God created you for you to have. And so every time God moves, Satan moves too, and he puts fear. But I want to tell you, man, it's a veil to God's glory. God has great joy on the other side, but this veil comes. I couldn't help but think of John Wayne. You guys remember his, his definition? Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. And that's, you know what? That's what faith is. Faith is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. So God shows up. Fear shows up, but faith engages and joy shows up. So when we're baptized, when, okay, when you receive Christ, he says you're baptized into Christ's death. And that's what we celebrated last night. That, what happens to you guys, you put your faith in Christ, he forgives everything you've ever done. He reconciles you back to God. But he says, if you've been baptized into his death, here we go, ready for Easter? You are also baptized into his resurrection so that you may live a new life. And I want to tell you, I think that's true for me. I believe there's new life for me. And I believe if you don't, if you've never received him, there's new life for you. So what does it mean to be baptized into his resurrection? And here's my last thing I want to share with you. Okay. Jesus is in the garden, right? He's in the garden and he is super struggling. What's he feeling in the garden? It says he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Okay, anybody have been in here? Don't, you know, don't raise your hand. But there's many of you in this room where you've been overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus knows what that feels like. Then it says he was troubled, okay? Troubled in his spirit. He, and then the next word is anguish. That word means severe mental struggles and emotions. Again, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you in this room have had severe emotional struggles, mental struggles? And it's a struggle for victory. That was Jesus. 
in absolute anguish. And then this is the word that is most amazing to me is distressed. It says he was distressed. I read that in the English and I'm like, oh, well, I've been distressed. You know what the word actually means? I don't know why they, it means terror. It means to be thrown into terror, to be alarmed thoroughly, to terrify. See, this is why he was sweating. I don't know if any of us have ever gotten to the point where we've been so much anguish, felt so troubled and felt so much fear that he's sweating like drops of blood. So now this is crazy because now we sit there and we go, have you ever been afraid to do what God wants you to do? Yes, every one of us. Jesus knows way more than you and I ever will what it is to be afraid to do what God wanted him to do. Now, why was he, why was he so afraid? Why was he full of terror and anguish? Guys, this is so crazy. Think about this for a second. Many men and women throughout history have faced martyrdom for their faith. And almost every account we have is they did it with peace and poise. They faced it total calm, way more calmly than Jesus. Isn't that kind of weird? Polycarp was, was one of John's disciples. He was a bishop of the early church. And when they, the magistrate wanted him to you know, renounce his faith, he wouldn't do it. And they said, well, okay, we'll give you one more shot or you're gonna, we're gonna you know, burn you at the stake. Here's what Polycarp said. He goes, the fire you speak of lasts but an hour and is quenched with a little. But what, you, but what, do, you know, but what do you know of the fire of judgment? So come, why delay? Do what you will. Now, wouldn't you think Jesus would do the same thing? <laughs> he's going to go die on the cross. And he's going, hey, boys, just watch, watch me. Okay, watch how I do this. Because you guys are all going to die. By, by the way, you're all going to be martyred too. He said, watch me do it. Terror and anguish? Come on, guys. Why did Jesus suffer more? Jesus must have been facing something far worse than anybody else ever had, than physical torture and death. It wasn't the cross because he was unflappable until this moment. And we find the answer, Luke twenty two forty two. every account says this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He wasn't freaking out about being nailed to the cross, you guys. He was freaking out because God was gonna ask him to drink this cup. And all through the Hebrew scripture, you know what the cup presented, represented? It represented the wrath of God towards all human evil. It represented divine justice poured out on injustice. What was stunning to Jesus was every time he turned to his father, all he received was peace and oneness. And this time when he turned to listen to his father, he was going to experience complete separation from him. The wrath of God. And I know this, man, nobody likes the wrath of God. We, we just want to say, let's, I just like the loving God, right? I loved as I was studying this with Tim Keller, he says, if you want a loving God, he goes, you have to have an angry God. Loving people get angry. And the more deeply you love someone, the more angry you get. Does that not make sense? <laughs> he says, if you actually see someone that you say you love, and they're destroying their lives or they're destroying the people around them and you actually don't get angry about it, then the truth is you just don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. But when you love somebody and everything's falling apart and everything, yes, anger rises up and God looks at all the pain and all the suffering of this world 
And here's what's crazy about Jesus. His obedience was going to bring him separation and the judgment of all sin upon himself so that all of us could be totally at peace. So that those who were martyred after him could go to the cross with peace and no fear and poise because they knew they were at peace with God and they knew where they were going. So Luke twenty two twenty four. this is, here it is. So Jesus says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I remember when I was in Israel, out of all the cool things I got to see, we were there for three weeks, saw so many cool things. By far, the greatest moment for me was sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane and knowing that it was there that Jesus knew that he loved you and he loved me so much that he would be willing to take on all suffering so that I wouldn't receive any punishment or judgment from God, that there would be no condemnation for me. That he would say, not my will. By the way, that means what was Jesus' will? To not do it. But he did it anyway. And here's Easter, guys. Here's Easter. Jesus Christ said yes to God, experienced the cross, and then rose again to live now inside of you. This is the hope of Easter. The hope of Easter is that we, are keep, we keep saying no to God because we're so afraid. We keep saying no to God because we're missing out. We buy the lies of the enemy and we never get to the glory. We never get to the joy. We never get to the fullness of life. But Jesus is our joy. He is our peace. And he is totally one and he is absolutely victorious. And he says, if you'll receive me, I will come and I will live inside of you and I will empower you to be able to say yes to God. I will empower you to get through that veil to the other side so that you, yes, are you gonna be afraid? Absolutely. And then cry out to me and I will come and I will fill you with what you need with the power to get through the veil and get to the joy. Man, this is great news. So Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, which means think about him, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. <laughs> Guys, the greatest news that I can give you today is this. You are gonna experience fear and you can have great joy. Every step of faith is gonna be fear and joy. But man, Jesus encountered the father. He experienced the terror. He went through the veil of fear and he exhibited full faith. And then he rose again into eternal glory. So what's our application for today? What do we do? What do we do with this reality? that you could know God and have the fullness of joy. What were the women looking for? They were looking for a dead Jesus. What did the angel say? He said, he is not here. He has risen just as he said, just as he said. Do you guys know that he, Jesus told him this? Like in the, in the scripture, we have at least three times where he point blank said, okay, I have to be turned over to the rulers. They're gonna crucify me. And then I'm gonna rise again. He told him three times. 
But then when it actually happened, they just, they couldn't believe it. And I sat there this week and I, I don't know if I've ever had this thought. I thought, huh, I wonder what Jesus tells me that I don't believe. What, what did Jesus, he, he said it point blank to them and they just didn't get it. And I thought, Jesus, what, do you, what have you been telling me? And what am I still not walking into out of fear? And so I thought, you know, how did the people after, after Christ experience resurrection power in their lives? And it was never because they were so great. They said, you guys, the only reason we're seeing great stuff happen is because it's the name of Jesus and it's faith in his name. It's Jesus. I'm not that great. You're not that great. He is that great. And if you will receive him, if you will believe in him, if you will trust what he says and will take a step of faith, you will encounter him. And I'm telling you, if Jesus has never scared the bejeebies out of you, you've never met him. I mean that. If, he's never, if God hasn't scared you, my guess is you probably just haven't encountered him. And if you haven't experienced full joy, full joy, then you have yet to get through that veil. And some of you today are, need to take that step. So if you've never received Christ today, if you were like Bill and you went to some church <laughs> that hopefully you were welcomed and loved and you heard this message, if you're hearing it today, I just want to tell you this. I guarantee you it will scare Bejeebies is a good word. It is always scary to give your life to God because you are saying, I want you now to be God. I want to give you control of my life. I want your forgiveness. I want your presence. I want your peace and your joy, but I will give you my life. But man, you guys, it's so worth it to get through that fear. And followers of Jesus, how much joy do you have in your life right now? How much freedom do you have in your life right now? How much peace do you have in your life right now? Colossians 2.6 says, just as you received him, continue to walk in him. And my guess would be, because I know this is true for me, my guess would be most of us who are followers of Jesus in here, there's something he's been asking you to do and you've just been too scared to do it. You're too scared to do it. And I want to tell you, that fear is Satan's veil to keep you from your fullness of joy, to keep you from who you're supposed to be, and to keep you from making a difference in this world. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Are you going to be like the armed guards who eventually get paralyzed with their fear? Or are we going to be like the women who ran full of fear and great joy? And that's faith. Garrett found this, this quote, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. And you guys, come on. Yes, don't be afraid to literally give up control of your life. Don't be afraid of rejection of what people might think, of what your family might think, of what your friends might think. Do not fear what you might lose. Take a step into something new. Take a step. Fear of failure, it's going to be there. Take the step anyway. Resolving conflict, fear of anger and being shut down, walk into it anyway. Fear of finances, of actually releasing 
your, your resources to God, fear of losing the American dream of comfort and ease and pleasure. Man, fear of sharing your faith as a follower of Jesus because the world might think you're stupid or ridiculous. Oh, you guys, every time we walk through that veil, the joy is on the other side. So Ben, come on up. And here's what we got to learn, you guys. If you're afraid today, if you're struggling to believe, one of the greatest little statements in the Bible was, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what you can do today, you guys? If you're afraid to either receive Christ for the first time, or if you're afraid to take the step of faith that he's asking you to take, then what you do is you go to Jesus and you go, Jesus, I know you were afraid, but you always said yes to the Father, always. Would you give me the power? You are risen from the grave and I'm baptized into you so that I can live a new life. Would you please empower me with your spirit? Give me what I need to take the step of faith. You guys, this is the message of Easter. Yes, we are the church. We're the bride of Christ. We're children of God and we can be fully alive with fear and great joy. So this first song says, man, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. (laughs) And if you need that today, man, ask him to do it. Jesus, in fact, let me pray. Jesus, man, we worship you. Thank you for being in the garden, sweating drops of blood with anguish and terror, with mental anguish, emotional anguish. You did not want to do it, but you and you alone always said yes to the Father. So we worship you because you're the only one worthy, God. We're full of fear and we need you. Thank you that you died and rose again so you could live in us, so you could put your spirit in us, so we could have your power to be able to say yes to God. And Lord, I wanna lift up every person in this room right now. God, if there's anyone sitting here and they've never experienced this encounter with you of a new life of full of freedom and peace and joy and love. God, I ask that you would give them grace and mercy and power and faith to step through their fear and to receive you. And Jesus, for every one of your kids who's been stuck on the other side of the veil with their fear, would you empower every one of us in this room to say yes to you so we can get to the joy. And I pray for that grace, God, over everybody in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, man, let's stand and let's worship our resurrected King.